<laughs> How are you out there? Uh, open up your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Just in following the Lord's direction and the leading of the Holy Spirit, I uh, felt uh, Ephesians 5 is where we were going to spend some weeks, and there's so much in this chapter, and you know, God willing, we're going to be in it for several weeks. But turn to chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 in just a moment. But we're going to thank the Lord for the word this morning. How many love the word of God? Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you this morning that we can come into the house of God. I thank you that churches all over the nation are opening up and uh, you're, you're making a way, Lord God, for the people of God to be in the house of God. Father, the word is so important to us. We need to be in it. And Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd open up our hearts and that this would come alive to us this morning. Father, that you would burn it into our hearts, Lord, that we may never forget it, but store it up in the treasure chest of our heart, Lord, that your word would give us new understanding and new ability to walk out your commands, Lord God. And today, we just ask that by the Holy Spirit and the church said, Amen. Amen. The title of this message is A Blueprint for Christian Conduct. We're going to talk about Christian conduct and what uh, the Apostle gives us here in the book of Ephesians. But I want you to listen to the first 11 verses, although I'll be, God willing, preaching through uh, 21 of these verses, uh, what I feel that the Lord has for us now. But the first 11 will give us a good context. The first two are what we're going to cover this morning. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as improper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks." For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ or God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, and now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light consists of goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Let's stop there, and I want to read the first two verses to you again. This is what we're going to cover by God's grace this morning. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So there's our first two verses in our blueprint for Christian conduct. And I want you to understand something before we jump into the text, that Christian conduct is very important. Let me get, a, let me, I'll try it again and you give me a bigger Amen. Because I heard some trailing off. <laughs> Christian conduct is very important. Amen. That's better. How we behave, how we conduct ourselves, how we live our lives among those who don't know Christ is very important. Why? Because the world is watching us and they're deciding what to think about Jesus by the way we conduct ourselves. 
Think about that. The world is watching you, Christian. And you might find that a little bit unnerving. Man, I didn't ask to be watched. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. You know, I'm, I'm not the model or don't follow me or I don't want to teach. But the thing is, we are living epistles. And people watch the way we conduct ourselves. It's amazing to me how many people come to church, call themselves Christians, but never get enough of the Bible in their hearts to shape the way they conduct themselves, to shape their worldview. Most Christians in churches don't have a Christian worldview. They have a secular worldview, or they have a hodgepodge worldview. And what does that mean? It means that they don't reflect the conduct of Jesus in their daily living. And that's a problem because the world is watching. Think about it. If the world is deciding what they think about Jesus by the way we behave, then we should take our conduct very seriously. And God does. God takes it seriously. Uh, there was a book that was written in the late 70s. It was called How Shall We Then Live? It was written by a Christian theologian and philosopher, Francis Schaeffer. Francis Schaeffer was one of the foremost Christian philosophers. He spoke about biblical principles and philosophical ways as a theologian that would help Christians understand how to apply their Christian worldview to this secular world that we live in. Isn't, isn't that what reflects our conduct, that the way we act in church and talk in church and think in church pours out into the world so that people can see what it is to be a Christian? Schaefer uh, had an interesting way of approaching Scripture and, and approaching philosophy. He was somewhat existential in his writing, and it's provocative to listen to the things he says. Much like Ravi Zacharias in our generation, uh, Schaefer was to that generation. Listen to a few quotes from his book, How Shall We Then Live? Here is a simple but profound truth. If there are no absolutes by which to judge society, the society itself is absolute. Society is left with one man or an elite filling the vacuum left by the loss of the Christian consensus, which originally gave us this form of freedom. So there again, he's taking biblical principles in a philosophical way. Why? So that we can, we can somehow apply them to our daily living. There's more things that Schaefer said. I encourage you to, write, to read some of what he's written. It's still uh, powerful and applicable today. But Schaefer wanted the Christian conduct to reflect Scripture so that it would impact society. Amen? And that's exactly the drill. That's exactly of how we should live, uh, you know, would impact others. Now, long before Schaefer wrote his book, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pens the epistle to the Ephesian church. And Ephesians chapter 5, Paul gives us some powerful, compact instruction for how we should live as Christians in the world we live in. So how shall we then live was answered by Paul long before Schaefer pen those ideals. Now, the text that we focused in on says, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved. So as a blueprint for Christian living, we're going to talk about Christian conduct. And there's two keys that I want to bring out this morning. The first key is this. The first key to solid Christian conduct is to be an imitator. If you're taking notes today, write that down. Be an imitator. We are to imitate. It says, point blank there, be imitators of God. Now, that's a lofty ideal, and in some ways it can be philosophical, but we're going to break it down to nuts and bolts so that we can apply it. The truth is that 
the scripture commands us to be imitators of God. Now, all of you have heard that expression, imitation is the, seer, is the most sincere f- form of flattery. I can't say it, but you've heard it. <laughs> imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. Have you heard that? Yes. Now, why do people say that? Because when you copy someone, it means that you, 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 really, you really ascribe to who they are or what they do, and you want to be just like them. Whatever field you're in, you know, whether you're, you, you know, as a musician growing up, I, certain musicians really inspired me, and I, I would look at them not to make an idol out of them, but just, you know, wanting to play like them or wanting to approach music like them. And whatever field you're in, there's always people who inspire you. And, you know, the truth is that we imitate those that inspire us. In fact, you know, if you look around and you, you look at who has influenced your life, there's been a string of people who have maybe inspired you to be who you are today. And the truth is that to know God is to be in awe of him. And if we're in awe of him, we will want to imitate him. Okay? Chewing that a little bit. To know God is to be in awe of him. And it's very natural to imitate those who we are in awe of. We want to be like them. We are imitators. So the thing is, we need to get close of God, that, that we get close enough to him that that sense of awe is kindled. Do You know, as Christians, we've heard the gospel. We've responded to it. We've come to church for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And sometimes that sense of awe wears off, and, and we're just like, well, you know, I got this whole God thing down, and it's part of my routine. I come to church, we sing a few songs, we hear three-point message, you know, we give, we serve, we, we say hello, and we go home, and we make it on time to the buffet. <laughs> and somehow the sense of awe just gets worn out. You know what? To recultivate the sense of awe, we've got to get closer to God. I found out the closer I get to God, the more I'm in awe of him. The more I stand away from him, the less. And when you get close to God, that sense of awe is kindled by the fact that you see who he is and his holiness. I I mean, in approaching God, his holiness reminds me of my shabbiness. His holiness reminds me of my sinfulness. The prophet Isaiah said, woe is me, I am undone. You see, the people who are arrogant and think they're wonderful and spiritual and have that Pharisee spirit, they're too far away from God, and to themselves, they look great. But I found the closer I get to him, the more like the prophet I feel, woe is me, I'm undone. And I see the holiness of God. I see the goodness of God. I see the patience of God. I see the long-suffering of God. And I'm in awe of him, and I want to be like him because it's natural for us to imitate what we are in awe of. Church, we need to get a sense of the awe of God back into our lives. Most of us are imitators of God in some ways. We have Christian character and conduct that's been developed in our lives throughout the Holy Spirit. But this command that Paul gives us here to be imitators of God, if we're going to do that with the right heart, it comes with two huge obstacles, and here's what they are. Number one, God's mindset and conduct are completely out of step with ours. The way God thinks and does things is completely out of step with the way man thinks and does things. Can I get an amen? And God even articulates that very clearly in Isaiah 55 when he speaks to the people of God in verses 8 and 9. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts 
and, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God flat out says it. There's a, there's a gap between us. And the longer you've walked with God, you realize, man, God doesn't do things the way I would do them. Come on, did you ever see, think God brings you to, to a place and he does something and you, know, and, and you think, man, I, w- I would have done that different. I would have made that easier for me. Come on, let's be honest in church, right? Oh, man, God, that was the long way. That was the long cut. That was unnecessary roughness. Hello? But God's ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And, you know, we're supposed to imitate him, yet our conduct and our mindset is completely out of step with his. That's the first obstacle. The second obstacle is this. God has never been seen by man. Now it's quiet. Let's go to the videotape or the scripture. John 1.18, no one has seen God at any time. No one has seen the Father at any time. The only begotten, that's Jesus, God, who is in the bosom of the Father, has explained him. So even in the Old Testament, you know, when Moses, he didn't see God. He saw God cloaking himself in a burning bush. He didn't see God when the train of his glory went by, just a glimpse of him. Why? Because unholy man couldn't view a holy God and live. You study throughout scripture, and that's true. And in the New Testament, where we have the covering of the blood of Jesus, we have more access to the Father. But the truth is, no one has seen the Father face to face. Now, if we are to imitate someone we've never seen, that presents a problem. Can you agree? So we don't think like him. We don't act like him. His thoughts and ways are way beyond ours, and we've never seen him, and we're supposed to imitate him. Good luck. Now, it's like asking someone who's never seen a TV show to imitate one of the characters on the show. This week, I was riding with my son, Austin, and I, I, I said something that was from the show Gilligan's Island. And he looked at me like I had three heads. I was like, little buddy, or something like that. He's doing my best skipper. And I said, you've never seen Gilligan's Island? He's like, no. And I said, I have failed as a father. But young people haven't seen some of the stuff we've grown up. So it didn't matter if I did, you know, my best Gilligan or my best Skipper or, you know, if I talked about the professor making a nuclear reactor with two coconuts and a string. He, he, he wouldn't get it because he'd never seen it. It's really hard to imitate what you've never seen. It's really hard to imitate something you're out of step with. But the scripture shows us there's three ways we can imitate our heavenly father whom we've never seen. And the first way we can imitate him is this, get to know Jesus. Get to know Jesus. And you you say, well, I've never seen the father face to face, but Jesus has revealed the father to us. Listen to John 14, 8 through 10. He who has seen me has seen the father, he says to him. So listen to what he says here. He's talking to Phil. We call him Phil Marcy, but this is Philip. God has always had problems with Phil's. I don't know if Phil is still here today, but no, he left. He had enough in first service. But He said, Philip said to him, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say, I do not speak of my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Jesus is saying, look at me if you want to see the Father. The Father abides in me and I abide in him. If you want to see the Father, all you've got to do is see Jesus. 
So if we want to imitate the Father, we've got to get to know Jesus. Jesus never did anything on his own. He didn't come to do his own thing. How many know people who just do their own thing? They don't submit. They don't fall in line. They don't listen. Hello? Come on, don't raise your hands. Not the altar call. But some people just do their own thing. Jesus didn't come to do his own thing. He's like, yeah, I'm Jesus. I'm the son. I'm fully God, fully man. I'm doing my own thing. No, he only did what he saw the father doing. And why was that? Because Jesus took on the flesh. So while he was in the flesh, Jesus had the real potential to sin. If Jesus couldn't sin, then the fact that he didn't sin would not be a sacrifice that would break the power of sin on the cross. I want you to understand that. So while Jesus was in the flesh, he submitted completely to his Father in heaven and only did what he saw the Father doing. He didn't come to do his own thing. If Jesus walked that way when he was on the earth, how much more should we submit ourselves to our heavenly Father? How much more should we not do our thing but do God's thing? How much more should we be imitators of God through Jesus Christ than just a better version of ourselves? I'll tell you what, the world doesn't need a better version of Rick. The world needs less Rick and more Jesus. That's why John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. So if we want to imitate the Father, we've got to get to know Jesus. The more closely we follow Jesus, the more accurately we will resemble the Father. And this is what it comes down here. Christians who know Jesus and spend time with Jesus and, and, and get close to him will reflect the Father just by the way they have gotten to know Jesus. The second way we can imitate the Father is this. Get and stay filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, I know you're taking notes, but that's a good place to say amen. amen. Get and stay filled with the Holy Ghost. Oh, once upon a time, 48 years ago, I got a touch of God and felt the Holy Ghost. A few goosebumps and a little shudder and woo. And ain't been filled with them since. Get the Holy Ghost and stay filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. We're to walk in the Spirit. We're to live Spirit-filled lives. We're not to just tell stories about once upon a time we, we had a touch of God on our lives. No, we need to stay filled with Him. John 16, 13 says this about the Holy Spirit. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, listen, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak of His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. Notice that. The Holy Spirit comes to us, what? And He is the Spirit of truth who guides us into all truth. We're going to talk about that. But notice, He will not speak of His own initiative. Just like Jesus, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the the Father and the Son. Jesus said, it's good for me to his disciples that I should go so that then the comforter will come. Come on. You remember he said that? Jesus went, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. The believers were filled with the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit speaks what the Father is doing, what the Son has accomplished. Understand, the way we reflect the Father is to be filled with the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is your built-in personal life coach. <laughs> and that's good news. Man, I don't know about you, I need a life coach. I need some, some of us need the Holy Spirit, two angels, and a group of people surrounding us all day long. I need a team. I'm, I need a team working on me, right? Most of us need that. 
Man, thank God for the angels of the Lord. Thank God for the Holy Spirit of God. Thank God for my brothers and sisters of Christ who are keeping an eye on me. Because that allows us to reflect the Father. That allows us to, to be led into all truth. Why? Because he's the umpire of our soul. He, he directs us. He guides us. He tells us stop. He tells us go. He, he gives us wisdom. He allows us to understand the word. You and I need the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to hear and apply God's truth. Did you ever see a person try to read the Bible without the Holy Spirit? Come on. Anybody, you're all born saved? or Before you were saved, you just could rightly divide the word and apply it with the... No, I mean, this was like hieroglyphics. This didn't even make sense. Now, with the Holy Spirit, you read this, it comes alive. The risen Christ leaps off the pages cover to cover from Genesis to Revelation by the Holy Spirit. This comes alive. If you're trying to read this and live this without the Holy Ghost, it ain't going to happen. So you and I need the Holy Spirit if we're going to imitate the Father. The third way we can imitate the Father, even though his ways are not our ways and we've never seen him face to face, is this. We can get into God's word. Oh, the thunderous applause about getting into God's word. You know, it's like, Pastor, you're going to tell us again we should read the Bible? Yep, I'm going to tell you again. I'm going to tell you until I can't tell you no more. Amen? Because we need to read the word. I need to read the word. You know what? I've been saved since I'm 14 years old. I've been preaching since I'm 15 years old. And you know what I need more of? The word of God. Do you know what I'm increasing in my life? The word of God. Do you know what I'm expanding? My devotional time. Because I need more of this. You say, man, you've been doing this a long time. You don't have it by now? No. No, I don't. In fact, the closer I get to him, the more I'm like, man, I need work. That's the thing about walking with God. Like at first, you're just dumb and fat and happy, and you're like, oh, I'm saved. I'm saved. Then you get close. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. Right? I need more of the word. You need more of the word. The way we imitate the Father is by getting massive doses of the word. I'm not talking about a little dabble, do you? A little chapter, a little a versette. I read a versette this morning. Well, then you're going to be a Christianette because we, we need to get massive doses of the word of God to renew our mind, to renew the way we're thinking. Come on, turn off the TV, turn off the computer, put down your stupid phone and get in the word of God all day long. People, people, come on. I know it's addictive. Some of you look mad at me. I don't even care. It's addictive. Put it down. Get addicted to the word. Why? Because the more we get in the word, the more we're going to see the, 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 the character and the nature. Listen, and the attributes of God displayed. You, you and I need to see the attributes of our heavenly father displayed in the word. There are some Christians that don't even want to read the Old Testament. The Old Testament displays the character and nature of God in vivid description in the way he deals with the people of God, the children of God, the enemies of God, in the way he deals with mankind, covenant after covenant after covenant, till he made a new and better blood covenant where God did all the heavy lifting. Wow. Sound like a bunch of Methodists out there. God, bring me some Pentecostals. I just need two or three loud ones. 
You've got to get in the Word. The Word reveals the character and the nature and the attributes of God. You say, what are the attributes of God? I've taught many times an attribute of God is something that's always true about God. God is love. God is merciful. God is just. God is patient. God is gentle. God is kind. Those are the things. Those are the attributes of God. That means when I'm loving, I'm imitating the Father. When I'm gentle, when I'm kind, when I'm patient in traffic with morons, how do they, how do they always get in front of us? I guess morons get up early. I don't know if we want to release this CD. But you see, when... when Against my nature, when I do those things that are attributes of God, I imitate God. And we begin to look like him. We begin to look like Jesus. And the world begins to notice there's a difference. (laughs) Our heavenly father wants us to imitate him. Imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. When you and I imitate him, it's because we're in awe of him. Don't dismiss this last little part of this text here. It says, be imitators of God, what? As beloved children. I want you to catch that today. We're God's children. We've been purchased with the blood of the lamb. Our heavenly father sees us not as nuisances or annoyances, but as his beloved children. And I want you to get this today. Many times the enemy is really skillful at making us feel like we're we're a nuisance to God or that we're a disappointment to God. Come on, I know you feel this because I feel it. There's times where I feel like, God, you know what, I've disappointed you. I've not, you know, I've not lived up to what you've called, and, and then you just feel like, you feel like rejected. Come on, does anybody ever feel that? That's the working of the devil. That's the enemy of your soul. And, and because we don't know God enough or we get confused about his character and nature, we forget that we're his beloved children, we fall for some of those things. Yet, yet God looks at us and he sees us as his beloved children. We are special to him. He adores us. Now, if you look at the way people cheat children, you might get confused because some people just ignore their children. You know, well, I had some children, but let me ignore them. Now, uh, understand, you know, we live in a generation where, you know, we have people that make children that don't parent them. We have a bad problem with fathers siring children, but not fathering them. Do you know we can trace almost all of our social ills to fatherless children? I preached a message on Father's Day where I cited some statistics about children who don't have fathers in their home. Uh, The percentages are so much more likely that they'll be arrested, they'll join gangs, they'll commit felonies, they won't finish high school, they'll they'll, they'll have pregnancies out of wedlock. These are all because of fatherlessness, because people don't treat children properly. They ignore their children. Some people just tolerate their children. Some people abandon their children. Some people even abuse their children. But listen to me, God will never ignore us, just tolerate us, abandon us, or abuse us. God treats us wonderfully and mercifully because he adores us. Do you know why your heavenly father sees you as a beloved child? Because he's crazy about you. Abba, Father, Daddy, God, Father, I pray that all the lies of the enemy about who you are would be stripped away with the glorious truth that you see us as beloved children and that we would approach you and in all we would imitate you so that the world can see you in the church. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.
Your heavenly father's crazy about you. You can imitate him if you get close to Jesus, if you stay filled with the Holy Spirit, and if you get massive doses of the word in your life. You can be an imitator of God, and it will be a blessing to your life. The second key to solid Christian conduct in these two verses is this. First, we talked about solid Christian conduct and imitation. Now we're going to find solid Christian conduct is in our foundation. The foundation of what motivates us in life is where we're going to find that we can have solid Christian conduct. Now, the foundation of everything we do as believers is described in Ephesians 5, 2. It says, and walk in love just as Christ has loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Our foundation and our motivation in everything we do as Christians should be love. It's got to be love. It's not duty. It's not religious obligation. Well, why do you come to church on Sunday? I'm obligated. I remember this person. I have obligations on Sunday, religious obligations, he said. There's a guy that doesn't know the Lord. We don't do it out of duty. We don't do it out of of obligation. We don't do it out of religiosity. We do it out of relationship because we love him. If you're not here today because you love God and want to be where he is and be in his presence and hear his word, if you're here to fulfill religious obligation or duty, you're dismissed right now. You can leave. I'd be shocked if someone got up. Even if they're like, yeah, that's me, but I ain't getting up. (laughs) So you're still here. I'm going to keep preaching, but I want to tell you, the foundation has got to be love. I'm here because I love God. Oh, no. You know, Pastor, you, you know, you, you got to be here, you sucker. You got called to the ministry. You, listen, I don't, you know, you got to come. We need you. I don't, I don't even come for you. I come for him because I love God and I fear God and I'm in awe of him and I don't want to disappoint him. I want to imitate him. I love Jesus and you love Jesus and we need to lay our lives down, but everything we do has to be in love. Scripture tells us if we don't do it in love, there's no reward for it. If I give my body to be burned and and there is no love, what? There's no reward in it. Wow. But it was a great display of sacrifice and martyrdom, but it was done in self-centeredness to you know, to lift myself up. No reward, because everything we do has to be done on a foundation of love. Our motivation is always love. Look what the text says here. Paul says, and walk in love. What does that mean? You know, it's like, I'm loving everybody. <laughs> walk in love is a description of love in motion. Walking in love, because love is an action. It's love in action. It's love in motion. And that's what I want you to see. Uh, Us walking in love is just putting the love of God in motion in our lives so that everywhere we go, everything we do just oozes of love. Isn't this lovely? I had fun when I was studying this. You know, so many times I have to preach on heavy topics and you know, the Antichrist and these things. And I'm like, I just want to talk about the love of God today. You know, in the text, there it was. I'm like, thank you, Lord. Because we got to focus on that too. We, love in motion is walk in love. And you say, well, what does love in motion look like? It looks like Jesus. You say, I, I want an example of love in motion. Jesus, all throughout the Gospels, Jesus, just look. 
Follow Jesus to the cross, love in motion, love in action. Follow Jesus to, to his knees on the ground when he was riding in the sand where they were gonna stone that woman caught in adultery, love in motion. Uh, uh, follow Jesus to the lepers as he laid hands on them and healed them, love in motion. Wow. Jesus is the perfect example of love in motion, love in action. He said, you know, it's follow Walk in love just as Christ also loved. And that's our example. He provides us the only example we need to follow. You know, this world has its own opinions about what love is. And it's, it doesn't match up with God's. It's a self-centered love. And we only love in the world when we can get something out of it in return. Unconditional love. Well, you know, how, how, how's your relationship going? Well, I'm in love with her, but she hates me. You don't stay in that relationship, do you? Do you? <laughs> Starting to scare me a little bit. Sign up for marriage counseling at the back table. You see, the world has a self-centered love, but God's love was proven in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. At our lowest moment, Christ died for us. So God's love is different than the world's example of love, and we're called to follow Jesus' example of love in motion. Now, I want to say something here. If you read the text here, you see the way it lays out that, you know, he says, walk in love just as Christ also loves. So we get it. Jesus is our example. And then he says, who gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. So the, the love that we put into motion in our life as we walk it out, it's an offering and it's a sacrifice. And we, and we do it unto the Lord, but we do it on the benefit of others. Jesus didn't die on the cross so he could get a better job in heaven. He didn't die on the cross so he could get, you know, a better name, a better reward, a better 401k, a better, no. Jesus died for us. There was nothing in it for him. Yes, he has the name above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But that's not why he did it. He did it for us. His offerings and his sacrifices were for others. And that's the way God wants us to love. You see, that's where the rubber hits the road for us as Christians. Because you know what? We... We want to do things that benefit us. When we show love, we want it in return, or we want to give to get, and, and that becomes a problem because it's not God's love. And so, you know, we love selfishly unless we love like God loves. And this is the, this is, you know, this is the, the sticking point for us or how we have to lay our lives down as Jesus did because that's the way he loved. And he did it for the benefit of others. You know, and you might be thinking out there, you know, Pastor, you just don't know how much I really love myself. And the fact that I got to do things for others at my own expense just doesn't sit well with me. I get it. I got flesh too. But this is what God has called us to do. This is how we imitate the Father. Uh, Jesus laid down his life as an offering and a sacrifice for others. So you and I have to put others before ourselves. You and I have to put the lost before our comforts. I don't know if it was first service or second service that I said that, that phrase that, that in the last days men will be lovers of God, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Did I say that to this service? Yeah, I'm telling you, that, that mentality in our world, it, it's killing our world and it's killing the church. 
that we love pleasure and comfort and, you know, my little, my little comfortable place and my creature comforts and all this. And, don't, you know, don't disturb this because I, I, I love that. And we get to the place where we love our comfort and our pleasures more than we love God. What a dangerous place to be. And if you think it can't get on you, you're, you're deceived because all of us are susceptible to it. And God wants us to love him more than anything else and to offer sacrifices and offerings for others just as Jesus did. Now, when we offer our sacrifices and our offerings for others, we've got to make sure that we are directing those things towards God and not towards men. See, the enemy can get in here and muddy this up. Why? Well, I'm just living for others, and I'm just serving others. And before you know it, you you begin to do it unto man, and you become a man-pleaser. And I'm serving others to make others happy for others' benefits at my expense, but I'm directing it towards them and not towards God, and that's a dangerous place to be. You and I have to direct our offerings in these things to God. Jesus didn't die for us to please us. He did it to please his Father. You study the scripture and you listen to the words of Jesus and it'll prove what I just said. He did it to please the Father. He didn't do it to please men. Yes, it was for our benefit. It wasn't for his glory, but it was to be obedient to God. So when we offer ourselves and we make our sacrifices and we serve others and we've got to, we've got to direct that towards the Lord because if you begin to lay your life down for people to please them, that is a recipe for disaster. You will be disappointed, you will become frustrated, and you'll quit doing it. Because people can ignore the sacrifices you make for them. Did you ever make sacrifices for people and they just pretend like you never even did anything? Come on, come on, married people, look straight ahead. (laughs) Did you ever lay your life out and pour your life out and feel underappreciated? Come on, mom, you work hard on a meal and you put time and effort and sweat and you put it on the table and then, I don't like this. (laughs) Do you ever lay your life down for somebody and you made sacrifices for them and their attitude was, well, I'm entitled to this. You should do all this for me. Come on, anybody know people? So now I'm making sacrifices and I'm pouring myself out as an offering for the benefit of others, but it ain't going good because they're not receiving it in a way that's edifying to me. Do you see how that's the wrong motive? Like it or not, we live in a you-owe-me generation. People are self-centered and selfish and they're encouraged to be so. But human nature, if we're going to do things for people, human nature will cancel out the reward and leave us feeling used and frustrated and sometimes even angry. Abraham Lincoln was walking by a neighbor's house and the neighbor was drawn to the front door by the sound of two screaming, crying children. He walked to the door and he saw his neighbor Abraham Lincoln walking by the house with both his sons and both the boys were crying hysterically. The neighbor opened the door and he said to Abe, what's the matter with the boys? And he said, oh, the same thing that's wrong with the entire world. I have three walnuts and each boy wants two. (laughs) What is that? It's human nature. Selfishness. You can't have one walnut. You got to have two. You want more. You don't want to share it with your brother. Now, every father with two kids crying like that wants to take the three walnuts, hit the first kid in the head, hit the second (laughs) kid in the head, and ask, who wants the next walnut? I don't want want it. I had enough nuts today. (laughs) 
human nature is self-centered. It's selfish. And so if we pour out our offerings and our sacrifices on people and they don't receive them in a way that's edifying to us, we're going to have a hard time loving. But listen to me. When we pour out our offerings to God and we do it unto the Lord and we serve, as I serve you, I'm doing it not to please you but to serve the Lord. So if you reject me, it doesn't matter as long as the Lord accepts me. Do you understand this? I want to close this message on Christian conduct and about loving God's way with a story. Just listen. A storm swept the ocean just off the coast of Scotland. Far out in the black, angry waters, a ship was caught on a reef and torn to pieces. A rescue boat was launched from the shore. In the face of what seemed like certain death, they went to see if they could help the crew. And amazingly, they came back with every one of the ship's crew except for one man. You see, if they would have put one more man in the lifeboat, it would have sunk the rescue mission. As they came to the shore, the captain said, there is another man out there. We need volunteers to rescue him. This crew is exhausted. Among those who stepped forward to volunteer was a fine-looking young Scotsman in the prime of his life named John. As John stepped forward, his white-haired mother threw her arms around him and said, son, please don't go. Your father perished at sea. Your brother William went out to sea last year and he's never returned. You're all I have left, John. Please don't go. Mother, I must go, John said. There is a man in peril and I would feel like a coward if I didn't go to help him. God will take care of us. John kissed his mother and leapt into the boat. With every minute that passed by, the fury of the storm increased and those on shore held their breath as a full hour passed by, they braced for the worst. But amazingly, in the dim light, they saw the outline of the rescue boat fighting its way back to shore. When the boat came within calling distance, someone cried out, have you found the man? And standing in the bow of the boat, John shouted back, yes, we saved him. And tell mother, it's dear brother William. So powerful. You see, when we sacrifice for God and we sacrifice for others and we do it unto the Lord, many times the Lord answers the desires of our own heart. We used to say around here, what you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. God, help us to love like you loved. Help us to put love in motion, to risk life and limb for the sake of others but to do it unto you because you are the one that gives us the desires of our heart. Father, you are our reward today. Help us to have the conduct that draws people to Christ and not drives them away from Christ. The world is looking at us and deciding what they think about Jesus. So help us to be imitators of God and lovers who put love in motion. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give him praise this morning. Bless you.